522, not 622. So Brother George said just take a couple hours. Uh, I wouldn't do that. My dad, uh, many of you know my dad. Uh, so my dad, when I first started preaching, my dad said that uh, preaching a sermon is like flying a plane. And he said, if you're soaring around in the heavenlies and you're not sure how to land, crash. Because it's better than keep soaring. <laughs> so uh, I've taken that to heart all these years and done my best to not uh, wear things out too bad. I do feel, um, and if you, if you can't afford one of the books, uh, you can just grab one. Be happy to give it to you. Uh, honored to be here tonight, 30 years almost for Brother White and these 35. 35. So that's awesome. So congratulations, Brother White. And the longevity is unheard of. I uh, preached anniversary service for Joe Perry in, in Dover, and it's been 20 years for them, uh, which just, it's, uh, when I was preparing for that, like the average tenor of a pastor in, in the United States is like two years. There's a lot of different sources. I came up with a lot of different numbers, but it's very, very small. So someone that comes to a city and spends 35 years, that's, uh, that's commendable. And uh, congratulations, Brother White. Amen. That's, very much in order. Very much in order. So, all right. So, uh, I'm going to talk to you tonight. I, I just entitled this uh, Things the Lord Likes. Things the Lord Likes. So, I turned 50 years old this year. Uh, so, in May, I was 50. My dad uh, was raised with an alcoholic father. He remembers times when he was left, uh, so they, his family was from Caldwell, Ohio. And they would go from Canton, drive to Caldwell, and he said, we would be just like three miles from my aunt and uncle's house, but he would stop at the bar and leave us kids in the car for two hours, three hours while he went and got drunk. He could have just taken us down the street and dropped it, but he wouldn't. He would leave us in the car locked up. Uh, and he remembers a time when uh, my we're hillbillies uh, pretty much. So uh, he remembers a time when uh, they were frog gigging. And while they were frog gigging, the boat tipped, and he remembers his dad sinking in the river with his beer can up above the water, even though he was under the water, trying to save his beer, even though he was drowning. So, you know, my dad started following in his dad's footsteps. Uh, they were a Catholic family, a good Catholic family. Um, my dad started... Uh, down that path, but there was something that happened, and he got a hunger for God. And one day in the Catholic Church, he actually received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues in the Catholic Church, and they told him they didn't want him around anymore if he was going to be speaking in tongues, and he would have to leave. And uh, we were cleaning frogs again. That was kind of, I guess, the standard, gigging frogs, cleaning frogs, whatever. Uh, so we were cleaning frogs at my grandma's house after they went gigging the night before, and Brother Ellis was coming through the neighborhood knocking doors, just started the church in Canton, came there with not knowing anybody, uh, and the home missions work, dug it out there, and, and met my dad. Uh, I was eight years old at that time, and uh, so they ended up talking, taught a Bible study, uh, and Bible study is supposed to be a 12-week exploring God's Word, I think was about 18 months before it was all said and done, and it ended up the, the rest being history. Uh, so the, the thing that I wanted to uh, kind of focus on there is the hunger. God likes hunger. So we all just finished eating some, some good food, and 
that's always good. I told Brother White, I'm really only good at two things that I, I, I'm, I know I'm good at, and one's eating and the other one's sleeping. Uh, so outside of that, I'm not real sure if they're, I'm good at anything. But So we all understand natural hunger. But the Bible says, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And, and I want to propose to you that hunger is really irreplaceable. So Revelations chapter 2 was when they wrote to the church of the angel of Ephesus. It says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And thou hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. All these are awesome things that they did. They recognized false prophets. They, uh, w- they were patient. They, uh, they labored for the kingdom of God. They were not uh, faint, even though the Bible says don't be faint or weary and well-doing. And all these are awesome things that, that he's writing the, to the church of Ephesus. But then the next verse says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So what, a, what a, a contrast here as he gives them accolades for what they have done, but he brings them to this point of, I have this against you because your first love is no longer there. And, you know, I do believe there's a difference between the first love and hunger, but hunger is a key component of first love. And, and that's where I want to focus in here because I, I think it's critically important we understand that there's that hunger and thirst after righteousness, that unquenchable. You know, we just ate. Everybody's probably fairly full right now. But I promise you tomorrow morning, when before Brother White's done preaching the morning service, you're going to be hungry again. You're going to be thirsty on your way home, and you're going to want to get something to drink because it is unquenchable. It's something that can't be satisfied easily. And that is the way way that God gives us an analogy of what our walk with Him should be and our desire to pursue Him should be. That first love is like hunger and thirst, something that is not able to be satisfied. And when you do feel like it got satisfied because you walk out of a fired-up worship service, it's not long before you've got to get back into the Word. It's not long before you've got to find a place to pray because that hunger and thirst for the things of God is all-consuming and you just can't get away from it. I believe that God likes hunger. And those are one of the things that we need to look on. Back when I was uh, in high school, I, I had a job at McDonald's. And uh, you talk about eating, I ate a lot when I worked there. So the hunger for word, the hunger for prayer, hunger for the house of God. God loves hunger. So I was working the night shift, and, and it was almost 2 in the morning, and some lady pulls up at the drive-thru, and she says, I want a hamburger with as many pickles on it as you're allowed to put on it. If you can put an extra cup of pickles, give me an extra cup of pickles. It's 2 o'clock in the morning at McDonald's drive-thru. I'm give her a whole bottle of pickles. I don't care. I said, this is a little odd request at 2 in the morning. Most people coming through are drunk. Uh, you don't seem to be drunk. And she said, well, I've got a pregnant woman at my house. And she is driving me nuts because of her craving for dill pickles. And she's like, I've got to have a hamburger from McDonald's with a lot of dill pickles. So I gave her a whole cup of pickles. And, uh, but that desire is what drove her to seek after that. And, and you know, we talk about you know, the, you know, 
uh, the Bible talks about the persistence. The, you know, when they don't give up, they don't stop. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the unjust judge, it wasn't because of anything else. It wasn't because of compassion. It wasn't because he felt bad for uh, the widow. It wasn't because of any of those things. It was just because of persistence and just because they wouldn't give up. And that's what we see here in Revelation, that, that unquenchable thirst that they lost and God loves hunger. Something else that God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. This is about as straightforward as you can get. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And, you know, it's, it's as much about attitude as it is amount. It's about attitude. So Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. One of the most uh, fundamental principles of the Word of God is sowing and reaping. So you can go all the way back, and God established. You know, can you imagine? You know, we are so used to this that it's, it's just normal to us. But, but what if he would have made it to where you sow apple seeds and oranges come up? Or you never know what's going to come up when, when you sow. But he didn't. He made it to where seeds bears fruit. One of the most powerful aspects of that is, you know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the seed is in the fruit. So if you want to plant seed in this community and in this world, it's in the fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, uh, temperance. Those are the things that are going to bring seed to the world because that's so void in this world we live in. People are full of hatred. They're full of hurt. They're full of strife. They're full of indifference and, and uh, passivity. All those things are so opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. But if we have the Spirit of God living inside, it shouldn't just be talking in tongues. And it's not just about miracles and healing. It's also about having the fruit of the Spirit so people see something different about us than they see about everybody else in the world. But the one other principle of sowing and reaping is you always get more than you sow. You can plant a seed of corn, you're going to have two ears of corn. Each of those ears of corn are going to have multiple kernels of corn that you can plant. And before long, you can have a multitude of corn if you continue to sow in in that, uh, uh, that seed. If you continue to sow the seed, you're always going to get more, and it always takes time. It takes time. So there's two things here that are very important for us to understand. You've got to keep sowing, and it will come. You're going to reap if you faint not. So you're going to reap more than you sow if you faint not. So this is, this is where a lot of people, when they come new into church, struggle. Because they've been reaping something, or so, I'm sorry, they've been sowing something for years. They've been sowing something for years. Alcoholism, they've been sowing discord, they've been sowing all these things. And then they come, get born again, they start sowing a different type of seed, but they don't realize they're still reaping a crop that they had sowed for 30 years, 40 years, whatever it comes. And then you end up coming around. If they can just be patient, if we can help carry them and help bring them around so that they can start seeing the results of sowing good seed, that's when it really starts to take effect. And that's why it's so critical, just like a brand new baby uh, naturally needs care and can't take a steak, needs milk. You know what? 
what spiritual babies need milk because they need to get someone that helps sustain them until they can get to the place where they start seeing the results of sowing good seed. But it always takes time and it's always going to end up being more than what you sowed. Sometimes I'm not sure we want whatever measure you meet it to be met back to you. Oh, help us, God. Mark chapter 12, Jesus uh, sat against the treasury And behold, how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For they they all did cast in their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. So giving and principles of giving are so important, and and there's way more scripture about that than about anything. There's so much scripture about money. There's so much scripture about finances. There's so much scripture about giving because it's a a reflection of what's in your heart. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you want to know where your heart's at, I think there's two things you got to look at. you got to look at your calendar, and you got to look at your checking account. Where your treasure is. That word actually comes from a root that means investment. Where your investment is. So what you put your time and money in is where your heart is. So, uh, you know, we, we can say, God, search my heart, search my heart. You know what? Stop and reflect on what you're given. If all your time is in, in sometimes it's not money. A lot of times it's time. So, but it's both. If you're holding back on God financially... You're holding back on God with your time, and this is all something extra to you, then you know what? That's where your heart's at. If this is everything, you're here when the doors are open, you're not just, you know, uh, people have asked me, you know, pastor, when I was pastor, not pastor, no, but I've been asked, should I pay my tithes on my gross or on my net? That's an interesting question. Um, and since I'm here and I got the microphone, I'll answer well, at least what I thought. Uh, so, you know, should I pay tithes on gross or net? Well, th- there's a couple things here. Number one, whether you choose or not, your taxes are services that you get. So not necessarily be how we would choose to spend our money, but you're really glad you got a fire department if your house catches on fire. And if you get robbed, you're glad you got a police department. And you're glad you got water, and you're glad you got streets, and you're glad you got sidewalks. So in essence, it's a forced investment, but it's your money that, that, that you're paying tax on. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is if I, you know, it's, it's once again more of a heart issue. If, if I am trying to find a minimum, then whatever our measure I meet, he's going to be met with me. So how do I want him to bless me to find the minimum? <laughs> I don't want the minimum blessing. And it's not about, that's not why I do it to get a blessing, but it's a biblical principle. I'm going to get more. And, and I don't think it's like, well, I'm 20 bucks, so I'm gonna, I want the ex- expansion of 20 bucks. No, it's not about 20 bucks. It's what, how, how can I be an outrageous giver? How can I be an outrageous giver? How can I be cheerful to the extreme and excited that I have the opportunity to give because that's the measure I want met back to me? 
So if I invest that way, it's going to come back to me that way. That's what I want. And it's not about money. It's not about the dollar amount. It's about my heart. It's about what's important to me. It's about what I care for. It's about what I invest in. Those are the things that really matter. And God loves a cheerful giver. You know, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If you're going to hate giving, keep it. God's going to take care of his church. God's going to take care of his church. And, and, and don't think that your offering is the difference. I, I believe it. Now, in the midst of that, I believe we should be crazy givers. But here's the other side. And, and I, I was going to pay attention when I started and I, don't, I forgot um, so I don't know when I started. Um, but here's the other side of that is, you know, we need about rich givers. But to, 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 and, and I've had people say, well, I'm given by faith. I, I believe in living by faith. The, the scripture teaches us to live by faith. But it also teaches us a whole lot of biblical principles about our money. So don't go off living in debt and spending way more than you make and say you're giving in faith and why didn't God bless me? That's stupidity. <laughs> Math is a principle God established. You know, you could, I, could, I could say, I don't believe in gravity. And climb up on the church roof and scream it at the top of my lungs, I don't believe in gravity. But when I hit the concrete, it doesn't matter if I believed in it or not, I felt the effects of gravity. You could say all you want, I don't believe in the principles of giving, or I don't believe that you know, uh, I'm going to live and with, spend way more than I'm... No, guess what? You're going to feel the consequences of it. The Bible teaches us that, that you shouldn't be a, a, a borrower as a servant to the lender. So if you're living in debt, you're going to be a slave. You're going to spiritually be a slave too, because it binds you. I better stop. I got a lot of other things that God likes. I got to keep moving on. So in my devotions one day last week, I was reading in Chronicles and took note of the following verses. Uh, 2 Chronicles 12, 6, and this was the New Living. It says, Then the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is right in doing this to us. When the Lord saw their change of heart, he gave this message to Shemaiah. Since the people have humbled themselves, I will not completely destroy them and will soon give them some relief. I will not use Shishak to pour out my anger on Jerusalem. And verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12 says, Because Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger was turned away, and he did not destroy him completely. There were still some good things in the land of Judah. In the spring of the year, this is First uh, Chronicles 20, verse 1, spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, Joab led the Israelite army in successful attacks against the land of the Ammonites. In the process, he laid siege to the city of Reba, attacking and destroying. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So the, the next one I want to talk about for just a moment is God loves humility. God loves humility. James chapter 4, uh, verse number 6 says, But he giveth more grace. 
Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves. So twice there he focuses on humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So many times we hear, and we love that verse, verse number 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, and especially that resistant part in the devil. We're like uh, devil behind kickers. I can't wait to let me at him. You know, the, the, the old cartoons when they grab the kid's belt, and he's like, yeah, let me out, let me out. Uh, or the little dog. It yaps and yaps and yaps, and then run. You know, as soon as you take off towards it, it runs back to its you know owner's arms and hides. Uh, so though that's so you know the, the, we like that. You know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we quote that and we sing about it. And but really, that's this whole discourse comes a little bit sooner because it says God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. If you, if you go after the devil without humility and without submission, you're putting yourself in very, very dangerous battle. So humility is a prerequisite for resisting the devil. And, and I think too many times we don't realize that. Or we, we get puffed up into thinking. And, and you know what? We do have power over the enemy. But that power comes through submission. Even the centurion said, I am, I have authority because I'm under authority. And Jesus said, boy, I haven't seen this kind of faith in, in, in all of Israel. So the key here ties right back to this right here. Because he understood submission is what gives me power. Submission is what gives me power. So as long as I'm submitted, I have authority. So that's why this is so powerful and so important. And we see, you know, the Rehoboam story is kind of what triggered this in, in, in my mind was, uh, you know, he was puffed up and had all kinds of issues. He was, you know, he was the one that responded to the elders and said, you know, if you think uh, my dad was, was uh, I'm going to be a scorpion. You know, if he had whips, I'm going to whip you with scorpions. Um, you know, he was puffed up and arrogant and had all kinds of issues. But when he got into the midst of the battle, he humbled himself before God. And God said, you know what? I like humility. I, there's something about when you change your heart and come back to me and call to me that I'm going to respond to that. You see, God gives grace to the humble. God lifts up the humble. God gives favor to the humble. God draws the humble close to him, and God fights the battles of those who are humble. That's why it's so important and why we need it, because God likes humility. God likes humility. You know, I got just another God likes I want to talk about. God likes when we trust him. So 2 Chronicles 13, verse 18 says, So Judah defeated Israel on that occasion because they trusted in the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Proverbs chapter 3, this was quizzing subject couple or last season. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. 
Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. God values trust. And the thing about trust is it's not a one and done battle. I trusted him today, so I'm good. No, (laughs) you're going to have all kinds of opportunities in this constant battle to start relying on yourself and stop trusting God and depending on him. It's ever present. It's so easy to begin to trust our jobs, our retirement, our medication, our news, or any number of things that can slip and become first in our life and put God as second in our life. I want to wrap up. There's this book uh, that that I uh, uh, got some uh, info out of, uh, but uh, Rob Pamer gave me this book a number of years ago. It's called The Samson Samson Syndrome. Anybody read it or heard of it? Awesome book. I strongly recommend you get it. What you can learn from the baddest boy in the Bible, the Samson Syndrome. And, and what he does, uh, Matt Atterbury is the author. Uh, so once again, excellent book, excellent book. But all these really things that God likes, and especially the trust part, what Matt Atterbury does, or Mark Atterbury does, is actually he's looking at 12 tendencies that men have uh, and struggle with that we can learn from Samson. So I want to share those uh, 12 tendencies with you uh, real briefly as I finish up today. So number one, strong men tend to disregard or have a, a disregard for boundaries. Strong men tend to have a disregard for boundaries. And I know nobody in here struggles with this or any of these 12 at all, except for me. But I'm going to share them with you just in case it ever comes up in your life. (laughs) We all have boundaries. And God gave boundaries to Samson's parents for him. A vow, a Nazarite vow. Samson was strong, powerful, willful, reckless. All great qualities for a military leader that was going to deliver the children of Israel from their enemies. But without boundaries, they turned into disaster. They turned into a nightmare. He chose to disobey the boundaries, and it cost him dearly. The videos, <laughs> anybody ever seen the videos of why women live longer than men? And the stupid things that men do? <laughs> There's a, all kinds of them you can see. Like, uh, you know, trying to, to you know, get something out of the water and, and go climbing out on a branch and you know, women are smarter than that. They don't do that. <laughs> we would do it. Uh, and we've all done it. You know, I, I, I think back at the stupidity of things I've done in my life, especially when I was younger. And, and not even all of it was younger. <laughs> Some of it's just stupid. We just cut down a tree the other day. My daughter had bought a house and had this big dead tree. And um, it was leaning towards the neighbor's house and, you know, climbed up, put a rope on it, notched it. We were pulling it and I started thinking, this was stupid, Sean. Why in the world did you get yourself into this situation? We dropped it, and it all worked out good. But those are some of the stupid things that we do. So the videos on why women live longer than men. So you know, the thing is, we cross fences. And, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but you see a fence, and there's just a natural curiosity to uh, remove a boundary. And um, you cross a fence and go where we shouldn't. But the problem is we do that spiritually as well. 
we cross fences and we think that we're strong enough to handle sin and you're not. And that's when you find out you, it'll always take you further than you want to go. And God put boundaries for a reason. God put boundaries in our life for a reason. And, and we need to obey him. And Samson didn't. Samson constantly crossed those boundaries, and, and he paid for it. Another one is uh, number two from the book was a struggle with lust. Strong men struggle with lust. The earliest accounts of Samson that we have, other than the miraculous story of his birth, was Samson was in enemy territory looking for a woman. This is an age-old struggle. This isn't new. God created us with a desire for sex and the enemy of our soul. And realize this, his only purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible tells us that, right? So you know he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy you, yet you have this desire for sex that God placed in you. The enemy of our soul has made it so casual and so in our face that we need boundaries and accountability to guard our lives because strong men struggle with lust. It's, it's not something new. It's very normal. God created us with the desire so that we could stay in a, a relationship with our wife for our life. Number three, strong men have a habit of ignoring good advice. So there was some good advice that he had here. These are some notes he says. Uh, he says, when I run across good piece of advice, I jot it down and stick it in a file and here's some good advice that I have, so I'll share some of his with you. So first off, it says, when you're depressed, listen to country music. The people in the songs will always be more messed up than you are. <laughs> Another piece of good advice, and I don't advocate listening to country music, Brother White, but that was a good, uh, that was a good, uh, good quote there. Uh, another piece of good advice says, don't worry about flunking algebra. In real life, there's no such thing as algebra. Another piece of good, and I don't advocate flunking algebra if you're a student in here uh, so, so always buy your parents nice gifts after all you don't want to inherit junk another good piece of advice if you're having trouble opening a childproof bottle leave it in a room with a the child they'll figure out how to open it <laughs> or if you can't figure out any of your electronics your kids can do it uh, another piece of good advice don't bother naming your car he's not going to come when you call anyhow so so that's just some advice he has. But, but strong men tend to struggle with, with advising, and, and they, they have a tendency to ignore good advice. Samson's parents told him it was not the right path, but he refused to listen. It takes humility to accept advice from others, and that might be why it's so hard to accept advice from others. That might be why men don't ask for directions when they get lost although we never admit that we're lost. That is almost gone now. Since we got GPS, we don't have to th that battle. So those are younger. Uh, you, you may never have that battle, but anybody that's maybe above 40 probably has been in a car lost, and your wife is begging you to ask for advice, and you oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I got this. I know where we're at. And you don't know where you're at. But that's, that takes humility, and it's easy for us to ignore Good advice, because our wife is giving us good advice right then. Stop and ask directions, and we refuse to listen. Tendency to break the rules. Strong men have a tendency to break rules. Samson, with no pressure from his enemies or his hormones, one of the few times we see him in that situation, still ate honey out of the lion's carcass. 
And, and once again, think about that for a minute. This is one of the few times he did not have enemies surrounding him. He wasn't in a battle, and he wasn't with a woman. He was walking along. He checked out the lion carcass. Part of his vow was don't. So what did he do? He crossed the boundaries. He ignored the boundaries. He ignored good advice. And we you know, see here he had a tendency to break the rules. He broke the rules even though this is, this is so relevatory if we understand it because most everything he's in, he's put himself in situations where he's got women, where he's in a battle, where he's bound, where something's going on with him. But this one was all by himself. And they say you can tell someone's character when they're alone. When you're all by yourself, what you do, that shows who you are. That shows who you really are. And we see right here, he, he knew he shouldn't have touched that lion carcass. But what did he do? He went after a lion carcass. And you know what? How many, how many have ever seen honeybees build a hive inside of a dead carcass? Never. Usually it's maggots. Usually it's flies. Usually it's gnats. But there was honeybees in this. I don't doubt that the enemy put it there just to get him to look and go touch a dead carcass. Don't think the enemy's not going to put something that looks really good in your life and see if you're going to break the rules when nobody's looking. God help us. God help us. The thing is, like a kid stepping over the line you draw, just to see what will happen, we tend to do this same thing. Pride takes over, but pride and disobedience will always cost you something. They'll always cost you something. Almost done. Strong men tend to overestimate their own cleverness. <laughs> Samson's riddle came back to haunt him. Um, <laughs> there's a story. Uh, there was a radio program a number of years ago called Knuckleheads in the News. And uh, my, uh, I have a relative that had a uh, brother-in-law was a, a cop in Alliance. And um, the, the radio station Alliance had this knuckleheads in the news where someone does something stupid and they read it in the news. So this guy went into a bank. And this is a true story. This guy went into a bank. He had a bag, brown bag. Inside the bag was a shotgun shell and a note. And it says, I'll be back in a half hour. Have all your money ready. You're being robbed. And he left. Um, if you haven't figured out, there's a problem with that. And a half hour later, he came back, and the cops were waiting on him, and he got arrested. So, so they took him to jail, and uh, the cop that arrested him wrote this all out and sent it into Knuckleheads in the News. Well, then, so a month or so later, he's actually getting picked up from jail to go to court for his hearing. While he's in the back seat of the car, they are reading his Knucklehead in the News story in the cop car, because they're listening to it. And the cop that had arrested him is the one that wrote it, and now he's the one picking the guy up and taking him to the court. And they are just cackling on the radio. What an idiot! Who would have thought they could get by with dropping a note off? I'll be back in a half hour, and I think the cops are waiting on it. What a stupid... How could you be so stupid? And the guy's in the back seat of the car the entire time they're reading the story. They were laughing so hard they had to pull off the side of the road uh, to get their composure to take them the rest of the way. But overestimate... We tend to overestimate our own cleverness sometimes. And, and that comes with consequences too. All right, I'm, I'm running out of time. Number six, using anger as a tool. Ouch. So uh, Samson had an issue and constantly battled his anger. 
Uh, there's three sources of anger. Anger comes. Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger comes from primary emotion. The primary emotions are hurt, frustration, and fear. Those are what leads to a- anger. So if you can figure out how to deal with hurt, frustration, and fear, you'll learn how to deal with anger because you won't have to get to anger. So the, the hurt, frustration, and fear is past, present, and future as well. So hurt is from the past. Something hurt you, someone hurt you, and now you lash out in anger because of the hurt that you experienced. The present is you're working on your car, you can't get the, the, the nut loose, and you're working it, working, working it, and then finally it breaks loose and you bust your knuckles and then you stand up and throw the socket through the windshield now you got a broken windshield and a broken water pump. You did just have a broken water pump. But that was frustration. You get more and more frustrated and frustrated until you lash out in anger. And that's present. And fear is you don't know what's coming, so you lash out in anger and fear too. So um, I heard someone teach a men's conference one time, and they said that anger was the man's greatest battle. And, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Some it's lust. Some it's, it's pride. Some it, just, everybody's different. Uh, but anger's a big one. Anger is a big one that we deal with as, as men. Strong men will use anger as a tool, but it's not an effective tool, and it will end up costing you in the long run. Number seven, strong men have a tendency of repeating the same mistakes. This one blows my mind in Samson's story. How in the world did he not figure out what was going on? What an idiot! It's like every time you tell her something, she does it, and it's getting closer and closer to his hair. How in the world? But it is a habit of strong men. We think we're going to get it this time. We think we're, we're good, and, and, and we're not. So yet, how often do we do the same thing? You know, I've, I've often, you know, you talk about the, um, in Corinthians talks about the, the, the children of Israel given for us for in samples, it says in the King James. So given us, so we say, oh, if I would see the Red Sea parted, oh, I would live for God forever. If I was delivered, if I saw the plagues, I would live for God forever. But we have miraculous stuff happen in our life all the time, and it's just a matter of time before we forget what God had just done for us, and we go right back to our ways. We have a tendency of repeating the same mistakes over and over. That's why those examples are examples for us. We can apply them to our lives and we can step back and say, I think it's so important. One thing Mary did, uh, you see in, in the, in the uh, uh, Gospels, you see Mary, she kept these things in her heart. Read the Gospels and look for it. Because you see all these stories of Mary, something happened, an angel will come visit. She kept these in her heart. Uh, Jesus is teaching to somebody. Jesus does a miracle. Mary kept these things in her heart. Because God always operates right on the edge of the believable and he steps in and does the miraculous but if you don't mark it in your heart if you don't write it down if you don't take note of it it'll be six months later and you'll forget what God had done for you and you'll start to stray back to your old habits because the devil has convinced you that wasn't God that's right where he works because he wants us to operate in a level of faith Sorry. Number eight. Strong men have a tendency of having big egos. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've made heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Do you think he would have been able to kill a thousand men if God wouldn't have stepped in? But did he talk about God? No, I did it. I did it. Look what I did. And we struggle with that so many times. 
gave God no credit. It's all about what I did. But without God, you wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be there. Strong men tend to take foolish risks. Book talks about four main types of risk. And there's a lot of, you know, risks out there. And some are unavoidable. You're going to have risks. But foolish risks are a different story. A normal person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from someone else's mistakes. A fool doesn't learn from anybody's mistakes. So what do you want to be? A wise person, a fool, or the average person? We have so many opportunities to learn from others. We don't have to live out the mistakes of our parents and our grandparents. We don't have to live out the mistakes of those in the Word of God. Because we have it. They're there for us. We can learn from them. Strong men tend to struggle with intimacy. And this isn't just, this isn't talking about sexual intimacy, but emotional intimacy and connecting, especially in marriage. It's, it's really hard for, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's even possible for a guy to figure out a woman. <laughs> um, but we got to do our best. <laughs> we got to do our best. And, and, and intimacy is, you know, um, I'm not a, a, a feelings person. I'm a, I, I got a, my background's engineering is where I started. Um, so I don't get it. Uh, a lot, a lot of things. I just don't get it. Um, one time we took in a, a lady, a young girl, uh, she was 18, really had no upbringing at all, no didn't know who her dad was and had been living, mom was on drugs and in jail. And so she turned 18, we took her in and she knew nothing. And, you know, it was like, okay, you got to get a job. You got to take a bath every day. You know, you got to, you know, so it was that basic. We had to start at the very basic things. And, and, you know, one day, she, you know, she went out and put an application in and came home. And my wife was like, uh, you know, and then she's crying how hard this is and she doesn't know what to do. And she said, you know, and she, my wife started crying with her and, she said, you know, I'm crying with you, and I feel so bad, but I'll tell you what, when Sean gets home, your tears ain't going to do nothing because <laughs> they ain't even going to phase him one bit. I know. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it a lot. But it, it, it was true. I mean, it's like, okay, guess what? You're going to get up with me, and when I go to work, you're going to start putting applications in, and you better not be home before I get home because there ain't no reason you can't make your job putting applications in. So, <laughs> so, but intimacy is, is one of those things that and just when you think you figured your wife out, she's going to change. It's like, oh, man, I thought I was doing good. Um, but it is. Strong men tend to struggle with intimacy. And then, number 11, uh, strong men take too much for granted. You know, giving God all the glory and credit is hard. And it's also hard to see all the things that we have. And this, I want to I share this with you for a second because I think this is very powerful. We need to constantly do our best to be better. But we also, and I think the Bible teaches us that, but we also need to be content in all things. That is a biblical struggle for us to wrap our human brains around. I think I need to get better every day. I need to continually read. I need to educate myself. I need to work. I need to strive to do better. I need to, uh, you know, make good financial decisions for my future. But I also got to be content with where I'm at today. 
wherever he has me, I need to be content. And that's very, very difficult in this world we live in today. But it is powerful if you can grab a hold of it. I think one of our core values of the church in Canton was, at one point, was because Jesus is our God, excellence is our goal. I think we should always try to do better because Jesus is our God. We should strive for excellence. The Bible, David even talked about skilled musicians. You know what? Don't, don't get up and not prepare. Spend your time in preparation. That's, that, that, that's part of what you're doing because you're doing it for his glory. But in the same sense, I need to be content with where he has me if that's where he has me. But I'm always going to strive to do better. It's a very, very challenging tug of war in our human mind. But God gave us the tools to be able to do that. And it's so easy for us to take things for granted. And not see what we have all around us. God has blessed us richly, church. When I was in my worst situation, he still blessed me. When I'm in my best situation, he still blessed me. And everywhere in between, he's blessed me. I've been so blessed. I've been so blessed. I have to learn how to see what I have and not take it for granted. The last one, strong men tend to lose sight of the big picture. How easy it is to miss the big picture. So much of what we deal with is a facade, and there's something so much bigger. All these things we see and deal with are indicators of things on the background that are going on spiritually. So I think, and this is it, I'm done. So uh, you can stand, and I'm going to just touch on this final point. So... You know, it's, it's like if there was a movie set that had a facade and there's really stuff behind it that's, that's, that's real. That's, we, the Bible says we see through a, a glass darkly, but someday we're going to see clear. Right now, there's a lot that goes on that we don't see. But right behind it, there's something. You know, I, I, I just the example I gave with giving. Giving is reaching your wallet and putting some money in or writing a check or give online now or whatever it is that you do but there's a spiritual side to this it says you know what I'm going to trust God that he the first 10 is his and he's going to take care of me the first 10 I remember back when we first got married and you know we we were broke (laughs) broke 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 and we had a $50 gas bill and we had $50 ties that we owed. Or oh, we was going to give. That's what we was going to give. Our ties and offering was 50 bucks, and we owed $50 gas or for our gas bill. We chose. This is right when we first got married. We sat down and said, you know what? We're going to pay our ties. And we weren't living extravagant lifestyles. We were barely eating um, at that point. And when it came time, we got a check in the mail, like the day before our gas bill was due, for $50 from somebody we have no idea who they are that said sorry we missed your wedding like 8 months ago here's a a wedding gift we ask our parents who is this person nobody knew who they were and they sent us 50 bucks 8 months after our wedding because they missed our wedding but you know what that built my faith that I know I will never outgive God (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I did like Mary did I kept that in my heart 30 years later we're about to be married 30 years 30 years later guess what 
I'll never forget that story. Now, I could write that off as a coincidence, but I'm not going to let the devil take that testimony from me because that was an act of God. That What it did was teach a young couple that just got married that you can trust God and he's going to always come through. It's so easy for us to lose sight of the big picture and get so caught up in today and what we have and the stress and pressure and all the things going on in our life. And God just wants you to step back and say, guess what? There's a lot more going on here than what you know. There's a bigger picture than what you see. It's easy for us to forget about that and God wants to step in and say no I'm right here don't forget this is all for something greater this is temporal but there's something eternal this is this is very very shallow but someday there's going to be something so clear that you see and all those times you thought you didn't know where I was at you're going to know exactly where I was at because I'm the one that's been right there beside you through every situation you've been in what are we living for men of God what are we living for men of God Let's do the things the Lord likes. Let's do what the Lord likes.